Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Minnesotan accents. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this time we remembered to do the intro. Yeah. You know, <laughs> some days are harder than other days, mm-hmm. but all days are hard. That's true. <laughs> Not as hard as the nights, though. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> the nights get so lonely. I don't like getting the nights. Anyway, talk space. (laughs) (laughs) Some nights are endless after daylight savings. (laughs) When will the dawn come? (laughs) There's no way to know. Lucy, I don't know if I sent it to you, but I saw a great TikTok the other day that was this woman who's like, if you're not buying a vintage like Victorian floor length nightgown and just mm-hmm. wandering around your house pretending that you're trying to survive the winter like what are you even doing <laughs> yeah, that's called being an adult yeah <laughs> grow up yeah <laughs> grow up <laughs> i need a a long nightgown uh-huh yep you anyway don't. who are we oh i'm kenyan i like matching pajamas mm. yes you do I'm Lucy. I just like to be warm. Mm-hmm. I'm Amanda, and I don't have a bra on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good idea. Take yeah. it off, honey. I am wearing the um, the Stanley Hotel yes, sweatshirt you, you gave me. Cute. I so just have cozy. long arms. Didn't mm-hmm. fit me that well. So mm-hmm. cause I love. I've got my back brace on. Oh, how so! It's how fun. gonna be a good day. <laughs> that's a that's a fun one. All right, let's you get like r- the one in Romeo and Michelle. They've yeah, the magnets on. So good. <laughs> All right, let's anyway. get to the topic. This week we have a very special fan pick brought to you by Katie M. Although in the document. Lucy did write, check to make sure they are donating enough. Which I assume they are. <laughs> in either way, communication several months ago. <laughs> KDM, you are donating enough, and we really appreciate your support. Nailed All right. It. Good job, KDM, and good job, Lucy. And Katie has selected the topic of forensic psychology. Uh, yeah, this, be this is a good and big and yeah. There's yeah. a lot to cover. Mm-hmm. A whole lot. I love it. Yeah. And I feel like we've covered some of it in the profiling mm-hmm. episode and in that interview that we did yeah. with the FBI profiler. We've definitely touched on a lot of aspects of right. forensic psychology. But mm-hmm. it would be good to do a deep dive. We mm-hmm. could. So, and we're kind of doing it. So great. Yeah. I love that. So, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for forensic psychology? Well, our lovely fan picker requested the Witching Hour Red, which we Mm. have had before, and it's amazing. But I'm not even wearing a bra today, so I couldn't get my act together in time to go get it. So I'm sorry, and I hope you'll forgive me. And if you don't... We have done it as a pairing before, though, I think. 
I think we have, but like we've also mm-hmm. done the one I paired as a pairing before. Right. So it is it is what it is. This is where I'm at. Everything is fine. <laughs> but I am very excited about this pairing because this is a new iteration of this wine. It is a varietal that I actually am not. I, I've had it before, but we don't usually pair uh, this red. And it's from our friends over at Wink Wine Club. So if you're new, if you're new here, mm-hmm. Wink it's- Wine Club is the best invention of mankind they Mm -hmm. literally deliver wine to your door Mm -hmm. and you can like become a member to get special pricing to get them to recognize what your tastes are and recommend wines for you they like will ask you questions about your palate and make great great recommendations they change up their offerings frequently i mean you're not just getting stuck with the same stuff over and over again they're amazing Mm -hmm. and We are running a special offer just for you. So if you go to trywink.com forward slash wine and crime special, because you're special and it's special, you get four bottles for $29.95. That's an incredible deal for these quality Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's also super awesome because as a member, you get like, bonus credits you can get like send a box to a friend or a loved one like it's just such Mm -hmm. an awesome program we really love wink they've been with us since pretty much day one and we can never break up with them and they can never break up with us because we would be really sad i just got my new box of wink wine today oh it's it's the best delivery that means mine's gonna be coming soon so excited that next guy knows my name yep he yeah. knows I get a lot of wine in the yeah. middle. <laughs> so yeah, trywink.com forward slash wine and crime special for $29.95 on the first four bottles that you order. So good. So I paired today's episode with their far and wide frappato. Mm. And I chose this because as I was doing my case writing, I realized that investigators searched far and also wide for this perp. <laughs> wow. To no avail until yeah. a forensic psychologist was brought into the fold. Oh, this unsub. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Subcontracted unsub. So <laughs> I'm very excited. An okay. unsub is an as yet unidentified uh, suspect. Suspect. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I learned that term this morning. So this is a phenomenal, phenomenal phenomenal red. Frappados are really fun because they're a little bit more fruit forward, but they're still like nice and medium bodied. So if you like a really fruity, but not sweet, just like a fruit forward, like red fruit Cabernet, Mm -hmm. you'll really, really, really like Frappato. This is going to have some hints of raspberry, a little bit of red cherry, a little bit of rhubarb, some of the like earthiness of like tomato. Hell yeah. Yeah. Which kind of balances out you know, the fruit forward nature of it. It's also really nice and dry on the back end. So you're not going to have like syrup mouth from a fruity Mm. red. So good. It's indigenous to Sicily. Mm. And Frappato is a really cool wine. It's sort of like a cross between Pinot Noir and Cabernet. Like it's complex, but it's light and it has a lot of flavor. So it's really, really fun. And It's great in the winter when your wine storage is maybe a little bit cooler than it is supposed to be because it's gotten really cold outside because you want to serve this at just like a slight chill. Oh, 
I love a slightly chilled red. Yeah, it so it's me like feel perfect. So fancy. It's perfect <laughs> at like cellar temperature, but mine is even another like couple degrees, so around like fifth between fifty and fifty-two degrees. If you want to get real technical. Mm. This is 17.2% ABV. It's also vegan. Mm. And they use low sugar and organic winemaking. So diabetics, grab your wine keys. Yeah. And if you're like me, you're using for the first time your special edition XOXO, the Wine and Crime Gals. Very cute rainbow iridescent wine key. I'm obsessed with it. So cute. So cute. Those are limited edition. They so are. Get and them while my, you can. My favorite thing about it is that the screw is also iridescent. the rainbow metallic. The worm. Yeah. We got the an worm. iridescent worm. I'm so in love with it. So head to our online store at wineandcrimepodcast.bigcartel.com and get one. Okay, I'm going to pop it open. And okay. it's a no bones day always. So I'm definitely not going to struggle with this. It's totally fine. Definitely not struggling just to screw it in. That's another <laughs> internet thing that I haven't fully understood. Is it's a no a bones day thing. good? Uh, neither bones nor bones are really good or bad. A no bones day means you basically just get to go back to bed. And oh. a bones day indicates it's probably going to be a productive, mm. you know, work day. Work day, but they're mm. both, neither option is bad. Okay. I live a no bones life. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a rare Bones Day. Mm-hmm. Not okay. a Bones Day. We're working now. Yeah. We are. That doesn't mean we're being productive. Here we go. <laughs> oh, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> oh. 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 You almost hit yourself in the face. <laughs> I really almost did. <laughs> it looked like you were like fighting a sneeze. It really, yeah. I'm really going for it. Ooh. Well, nice. Pap. I love this. She pours like a Pinot. Oh, oh, yeah. How cute is she? Oh, yeah. I love that color. Mm. I definitely have eat. that in my pantry. I need to go. Oh, yeah. I have two different varietals of the far and wide in my storage as well. So mm-hmm. I grabbed the Frappato because I was real excited about it. I love All it. Right. Cheers. Well, cheers. cheers. Cheers, ladies. I'm drinking coffee out of this very sexy mug that I bought Ooh. for my husband in June. That is not a mug. That is a thermos. Thermos, mm-hmm. whatever. I bought it for him in June, and I thought he was going to be so excited and love it so much. And today, when I reached for it, I realized it had never, ever been used, and <laughs> the paper was still inside it. Oh, God. <laughs> so it's mine now because I now. love it. I love and hate that. I'm so sorry. Whatever. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Okay, Lucy, what is our background and hopefully psych heavy for forensic mm. psychology? Definitely love. got some psych in here. Okay, here's a quote from my lover. Forensic psychology is the application of psychology to legal issues, often for the purpose of offering expert testimony in a courtroom, including but not limited to. Mm -hmm. In civil and criminal cases, forensic psychologists may evaluate individuals to determine questions such as competency to stand trial, uh, the relationship of a mental disorder to an accident or a crime, and potential for future dangerous behavior. In addition to conducting interviews and administering psychological tests, they usually gather a forensic history, which includes information such as hospital records, police reports, and statements of witnesses. 
They are also expected to have a grasp of relevant legal questions. In a child custody case, a forensic psychologist may be asked to evaluate home environments, parents, and the character of the child in order to recommend a custody decision in the child's best interests. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. They do a lot. Yeah. So some other examples of tasks for forensic psychologists are threat assessments for schools, Mm. counseling services to victims of crime, death notification procedures. Like like coming up with those protocols for law enforcement and stuff? Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. Screening and selection of law enforcement applicants. We'll circle back Do to better. that. <laughs> right. <laughs> the Screen assessment. more. Mm-hmm. The assessment of post-traumatic stress disorder, sentencing recommendations, evaluation of the risk of reoffending, consultation of jury selection. Mm. So like if lawyers have questions about or uh, want to learn more about the strategies behind jury selection. Yeah. Mm. That would be where forensic psychology comes in. Interesting. Witness preparation, designing correctional programs, expert witness testimony, like we said, and the delivery and evaluation of intervention and treatment programs for juvenile and adult offenders. Wow. So there could be a lot of different specialties within it, or I guess some people do it all, but that would be really tough. Yeah. A lot of different, a lot of different specialties. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, here's a fun fact for you that I we've talked about forensics so much, but I never knew this. The word forensic comes from the Latin word forensis, meanings meaning of the forum, mm. and the forum was where the law courts of ancient Rome were held. Okay, so always having to do with law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, forensic, mm-hmm. and not having to do with foreskins. Necessarily. No. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we have a whole episode about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forensic psychology is often lumped together with legal psychology. They are two different things, but under the same umbrella. Okay. The, the main difference between the two is that legal psychology typically doesn't include clinical matters. That is to say, research involving clinical psychology such as mental illness, competency, the insanity defense, which we'll get to also, mm-hmm. offender profiling, etc., is typically categorized as forensic psychology and not legal psychology. Hmm. So a legal psychologist might study things like eyewitness testimony or jury decision making. Cool. Okay. So how the jury makes their decisions. Right. So when it comes to consultation, like I mentioned, as a forensic psychologist might do, a legal psychologist might do the same thing. Okay. So there but is when overlap. when it comes to like the offending side of things, it would be more forensic. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So this is from the APA. Arguably, one of the most interesting assessments for a forensic psychologist is assessment in mens rea cases, a.k.a. insanity cases. Mm -hmm. A.k.a. that part in Legally Blonde. Yeah, yeah, Uh yeah. The only reason I know that word. Yeah, perm science. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In the U.S., a person cannot be held responsible for crime. Raymond. (laughs) Cannot. Speaking of insanity, mens rea. Ray. Men's Ray. <laughs> okay. A person cannot be held responsible for a crime if if they did not possess a guilty mind, which is what mens rea means. Guilty mind. 
Got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. At the time the criminal act was committed, there are several conditions in which the law recognizes that a guilty mind is absent. So, like, it, it, for example, if it was in self-defense, mm-hmm. insanity is not a psychological term, but a legal one because it is a an insensitive term mm-hmm. if we're using that in a right. me- medical sense. Yeah. The standard for insanity is determined by each state, and there is also a federal standard. A common standard is whether the person knew what they were doing is wrong. The forensic psychologist has to determine not how the person is functioning at that present moment, but their mental state at the time of the crime. Thus, much of the forensic psychologist's work is retrospective and much must rely on third-party information, collateral contacts, and written communications such as statements made at the time of the crime. Okay. But for the self-defense thing, you still mm-hmm. have to prove that, like, you were in danger. Like a reasonable person would consider themselves to be in danger in that moment. Correct. Yeah. Right. Because so, a lot of people think that they are in danger, but mm-hmm. unreasonably. Yeah, so. exactly. Or, for example, if the cars in a car dealership were in danger and they decided to, I don't know, attack someone with a rifle in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Unrequested for that backup. Right. That fucking judge, man. That judge should be removed from the bench. That guy is forever. It's it's so blatant. blatant. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking bad. It's It's really, really really fucking bad. Anyway. That was exactly where my mind was. So you Uh read my mind. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Uh huh. Okay. For the first time ever. Yeah, that never happens. We're <laughs> never. never aligned on any of these things. Oh, we have, we share a mens rea, <laughs> mm-hmm. a guilty mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a little bit of history for us. Ooh. Let's go all the way back. Herstory. Herstory. <laughs> it's actually very much his story. <laughs> all the way back. 1862 in Germany, Ooh. where Wilhelm Wundt. There's a what photo I on the drive. He won't be held responsible. <laughs> <laughs> she a... was touching her face. <laughs> okay. There's a photo on the drive, which will be on the blog. I think he's adorable. <gasps> Show me. Look, at he's at the bottom. Wilhelm Wundt. That, he's got like ooh, that old man. The old man. He looks like an owl. He, he, does, like owl. he does look like an angry owl. He looks mm-hmm. like my great grandfather. There were several, His glasses are so small. There were several portraits of him, and the ones that are, like, face on, he's, like, a little bit wonky-eyed. <laughs> yeah. Face on. Apply directly to the forehead. I just think he's precious. Okay, don't at me with all of his problematic bullshit. I'm sure it's out there. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's an old white man from the 1800s. She just he's probably he terrible. He looks precious. She doesn't yeah. know anything about him besides what she's about to say. Right. <laughs> right. I'm sure he was abusive, whatever. <laughs> Watch, he was a saint, and we're going to get added for assuming he was bad. Don't at me about <laughs> Wilhelm Wundt. For the last I time. Wundt, read it. <laughs> okay, so 1862, he offered the first course ever taught in scientific psychology. Until then, psychology had been regarded as a branch of philosophy and therefore was conducted primarily by rational analysis. Mm. The rationalists. Mm-hmm. The reasonableists. He wasn't having any of that. 
I wasn't. I just wasn't expecting that one. Weren't you? (laughs) Weren't you? I wasn't. I really wasn't. (laughs) Um, So Wundt instead stressed that the use of experimental methods drawn, stressed the use of experimental methods drawn from the natural sciences. His work, quote, advanced a system of psychology that sought to investigate the immediate experiences of consciousness including sensations, feelings, volitions, and ideas. Hmm. It also contained the concept of apperception or conscious perception. The methodology prescribed was introspection or conscious examination of conscious experience. Okay, so this okay. sounds kind of like, duh, but mm-hmm. it, they hadn't explicitly studied those things right. in like a, Ever split, like a lab before. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He went on to develop the first psychological lab in the world at the University of Leipzig in 1879. And they went leaps and bounds. <laughs> yep, leaps above, and bounds. above everyone else. <laughs> American students traveled to Germany to study with him. And when they returned home, a lot of them had questions about how psychology relates to law, for example, in giving testimonies or regarding an individual's functional capacity. So it is pretty mind boggling how recent yeah. these concepts are. Yeah. Yeah. Role I mean, I recent. know that like there were things adjacent to this in like, you know, fucking ancient Babylon. I'm sure like sure. some people couldn't be held responsible for their actions because they were deemed insane. But, but that like, was a philosophical Right thing, mm-hmm. not not and not science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not like medical, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we haven't uh, we haven't applied science to a lot of aspects in our collective life mm-hmm. <laughs> until real recently. Yeah, and it's, some of us still don't. Yeah, <laughs> humanity is very vaccine. young and stupid. <laughs> yeah, a lot we're just barely figuring out. It's a little rough. But I guess if you think about like moral issues, like the vaccine shouldn't be a moral issue, but or like uh, abortion. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, that is science. Mm-hmm. It's black and white, and for a lot of people, it is a question of philosophy. Mm-hmm. So I think that you can you can think you can identify a lot of things in our current society now that you might not think c- could fall into a category like this. But maybe in a hundred years, we're going to have a Completely, completely different, different perception. View of it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, even the Catholic Church back in the day didn't believe that life began at conception. They thought it began at the quickening or the first breath. Mm-hmm. It is a political issue. And Moving on. I feel like. And we it, never get political on yeah, this Yeah, that's show. not what the show is no. about. Yeah. <laughs> Let's leave politics at the door. No. Nah. Okay. We got a big old basket by my door. <laughs> a basket of politics. Basket of fucks. So this is from a website called Very Well Mind. Very Well Mind. Very Well Mind. Very Well Mind. James McKean Cattle conducted some of the earliest research on the psychology of testimony. He posed a series of questions to students at Columbia University asking them to provide a response and rate their degree of confidence in their answer. He found a surprising degree of inaccuracy inspiring other psychologists to conduct their own experiments in eyewitness testimony. That was a little bit taken out of context. He was 
James Cat Cattle Cattell was doing research on eyewitness testimony. And then okay. was like, how certain are you that you saw what you saw? Right. Yeah. I feel like we all did this in like sociology, psychology 101. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, have a little sure. experiments. Memory um, fucks with shit. You don't see what you think you all the time. Mm-hmm. Context. I feel like everything. under stress. Well, we'll get to it. With even eyewitnesses being unsure of themselves, this raised serious issues about the validity of their usefulness in court. Inspired by his work, Alfred Benet replicated Cattell's research and studied the results of other psychology experiments. I don't know why I'm having a problem talking. That applied to law and criminal justice. His work in intelligence testing was also important to the development of forensic psychology as many future assessment tools were based off of his work. Hmm. And there's one that we are about to get to, which you will find familiar. Great. Psychologist William Stern also studied witnesses' ability to recall information. In one of his experiments, he asked students to summarize a dispute that they witnessed between two classmates. Stern discovered errors were common among witnesses and concluded that a person's emotions could affect how accurately they remembered things. Yep. Mm -hmm. He also continued to study issues related to court testimony and later established the first academic journal devoted to applied psychology. Wow. So, yeah, it's so interesting. I just think back to like, there are some things that I remember very, very vividly, and then there are other things that, like, don't have any recollection of them even happening. Sure. And then for other people that were with me, they remember, those. you know, it's like the opposite. Mm-hmm. And that's not even pertinent, important events. It's just, mm-hmm. like, memories. Mundane stuff, it's, yeah. Remember so la- the last time we were all together, someone was telling some story that was like, oh, I did something, something in school, and then one of one of us was like, no, that was me. And then a third person was like, no, that was me. I have very vivid memories of of whatever we were talking about. I have Do no you remember memory this? of what that conversation I think that was, did, but. yeah, it definitely happens with us a lot because mm-hmm. it's like. We have a lot of shared core memories. Yeah. But they were something like, it was very specific. It was like, I got in trouble for X. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that was me. No, that was me. Like, <laughs> this is, yeah. you can't trust your memories is the bottom line. It's really mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. You really can't. Okay. So keep in mind, all these things that I just listed are happening like in the late 1800s. Right. Uh, this is all condensed into like a very small window of time. Mm-hmm. So from there, forensic psychology entered the courts. In, 18, in 1896, psychologist Albert von Schrenknotzing... Wow. <laughs> you don't want to shrink your notes thing. No. <laughs> it's a lot of German. In if here. it's cold outside, you will shrink your notes thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's cold, but <laughs> I'm shrank. <laughs> anyway, he testified at a murder trial about the effects of suggestibility on witness testimony. In 1915, Hugo Munsterberg. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Delicious. Yum. Yum. <laughs> Published a book called On the Witness Stand, which advocated for the use of psychology in legal matters. In 1916, one year later, the Stanford Binet test was used to assess the intelligence of job candidates for law enforcement positions. And this test is still used as a typical IQ test today. If that sounds familiar, the Stanford Binet test. Yeah. Don't remember. 
Yep. <laughs> Can't trust my memories. Don't recall. Also okay. would want to know more about it because IQ tests are suspicious. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're all suspicious. But this mm-hmm. one was developed in 1916. So like, we'll give it a pass. Mm-hmm. In 1917, psychologist William Marston found that systolic blood pressure had a strong correlation to lying. Mm. This discovery would later lead to the design of the modern polygraph polygraph detector. Go figure. Six years later, Marston testified in the case of Fry versus the United States, which was the case that established the precedence the precedent of the use of expert witnesses in courts. Mm. So mm. all of this happened within like. A 25-year period. Yeah. That's wild. There was a boom. Yeah. Shit. So, had a was psychological like, revolution, baby. Mm-hmm. We had a bit of a boom at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, and then forensic psychology kind of cooled off for a while during the World Wars. We were frying like bigger don't. fish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1954, several psychologists testified on both sides during Brown versus Board of Education, bringing the discipline back into relevance. Hmm. And finally, finally, in 2001, forensic psychology was officially recognized as a specialization within psychology by the American Psychological Association. Wow. Oh my God. I didn't realize it took that long. Yeah. yeah. That's wild. Well, it's, it's bizarre to me that we were using it as like legitimate stuff in the courts Without at the beginning of the 20th it. century. And it was almost 100 years later. That it was recognized by the APA. Right. So. Interesting. We got there eventually. Mm-hmm. With the help of a bunch of Germans and German mm-hmm. Americans. So. Mm-hmm. Guten Tag. <laughs> Dankeschön. No oh, Dankeschön. Darling, Dankeschön. <laughs> Thank you for all the psych you gave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so well done. that's my segment. A little Phenomenal. bit of a background. I think it's interesting the difference between forensic psychology and legal psychology because they're they're very similar. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, frankly, forensic psychology is a little more interesting. Oh, there for are sure. a lot more uses of it than I realized. Mm-hmm. Like ways that it can be used in the courts and in forensics, even as part of like like a high school counseling. Mm-hmm. group, there could be a forensic psychologist like working in there. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're among us. For like dealing with high, high, troubled teens? What? Yeah. Okay. P- potentially. I mean, For sorting uh, obviously colleges? Some- right? No. <laughs> I, I don't want that. No. For, for students who are having legal troubles, mm-hmm. okay. which, you know, or it could be it could go back to the um like a child custody situation. I was gonna say like oh. a CPS or custody intervention right. that could be yeah. applicable for sure. So I uh, really there are a lot of applications for forensic psychology mm-hmm. related to the court system, but as you know, as we know from doing this show, the court system touches so many different areas, right. any all, all sorts of given areas in anyone's life. So Right. So if you think of forensic as a term that just pertains the application of psychology to the like the justice or judicial system, then yeah, it's going to have a wide reach. Yeah. I think a lot of times we say forensic in the context of criminality. Right. Solving a crime, collecting evidence. Yeah, exactly. It's just related to the court. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as we learned from the etymology. 
Yeah. Yes. Love. Well, well done. Of ancient Rome. Thanks. I learn so much from you when I'm paying attention. <laughs> when you're sober and attentive. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors while we're sober and <laughs> we're attentive. attentive. Yeah. <laughs> So none of us have children currently, but we all have children in our lives. And let me tell you, you think shopping for your dad is hard? Mm-mm. For some reason, I just feel so much pressure shopping for gifts for my the youngest members of my family because they're very honest if they receive something <laughs> that they don't love. <laughs> so recently we heard about little passports and that has changed the game. They really like plumb the curiosity of children mm-hmm. with little passports. It is so cool. So there's nothing better than watching a child's imagination in action as they unlock new ways of seeing the world. And Little Passports offers award-winning play-based kits that fuel curiosity through fun, hands-on activities. They'll love the feeling of discovery almost as much as you will love watching them explore. Yeah, these are really like fun, hands-on, and screen-free activity kits. And they're also just like cute and fun and well-designed and very wholesome very wholesome interesting they're learning and it's gender neutral it's just it's a great gift and uh these kits are like designed for curious kids so little passports is the perfect gift for the little adventurers in your life and they have different subscription levels that are like tailored to kids based on their ages. So for kids between three and five years old, they have the early explorers kit and that ignites their imagination and curiosity with hands-on activities, games, and stories that explore the wonders of the world from deep sea to dinosaurs, which are, you know, always a hit with little ones. Um, Our production assistant, Andrea, uh, her daughter is three and is really into the ocean. And so she loved getting her little passports kit and like learning about the ocean and everything. And Andrea said that it really held her attention a lot longer than other toys and games, which is, you know, key when you're dealing with a three-year-old. Every minute counts, right? And she also said that uh, her daughter loved putting all of the kit back in the little um, box because the box is shaped like a little suitcase. Oh, she repacked it. Yeah, so it made cleanup really fun too. It's just, I absolutely love everything about Little Passports. It's so great. So then there are other kits designed for older kids too. So for kids between five and eight, there's a science junior kit that unearths new discoveries with activities investigating everything from like how sound works if you got a little podcaster on your hands. Oh my gosh. Um, I want this. I know. To how rockets launch. I mean, Um. I would have been all about this as a kid. And then for kids ages 6 to 10, they have the World Edition Kit and that explores new cultures one country at a time through projects, puzzles, souvenirs, and activities that spark a global connection. I mean, hello, As a world traveler, I would have absolutely eaten this up. You get like a little passport and you can have little sticker stamps. 
And like, you can learn, I mean, Mike, I got a sample kit and it has like all this information about Brazil and like cool stickers. I've just, ugh, it's so great. I love little passports. So what are their options for kids between like 32 and 35? Right, I know. Because I, think, I well, want I'm this. just gonna start playing with the stickers. <laughs> Fill out your passport, honey. I'm gonna. Why not? Why not? So this holiday, give the young explorer in your life a world of adventure. Get 20% off any new subscription with promo code GALS. It's G-A-L-S at littlepassports.com. Order by December 20th for Christmas delivery and free shipping is included. That's littlepassports.com, promo code GALS. And treat those kids. Treat them. Who doesn't love to live well? To be perfectly at ease in comfort and in style. I I love it. I love it. And Hunter Douglas can help you to do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced that they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Can you imagine? We are living in the future, people. That is so futuristic and so Mm -hmm. handy because I shut all my shades at night to prevent, you know, peeping toms and whatnot. Obviously, safety first. Safety first. Window treatments are actually an important feature of safety. And then Mm -hmm. in the morning, I have to go around my whole house, open them up again. Mm-hmm. So if I could just have something that just does it for me. Amazing. Or if you have like house plants that need different levels of light. Oh my gosh. Can program a, that. That's a fantastic point. Mm-hmm. So perhaps it's the way the shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across the room. You know, maybe you're in it for the ambiance, the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Or being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. We're all very private people. Mm-hmm. My worst nightmare is somebody observing me in my own home when I'm not aware. No fun. Mm-hmm. Not good. Maybe it's the superior insulation that shades provide, keeping you warmer in the winter, cooler in the summer, and lowering utility bills. Mm-hmm. Not just about looks, people. Or is it simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just right? And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's Power View technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation, morning, noon, and night. What could be better and it's simpler? Yeah. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the whole dang day. Mm-hmm. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash gals, G-A-L-S, today to take advantage of the Season of Style Rebate Savings Event. That is HunterDouglas.com slash gals for a limited time savings. This offer expires December 6th. 2021. Are you ready for my case? Always. Never. Usually Let's not. Let's go. You're not. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you're Warning, not. Warning, you're not. You're not ready. Ooh. And this guy is one of the worst human beings I have yet covered. Okay? Cool, cool, cool. Okay. And it's me. Oh, oh, you're not the perp. 
Should no. I go get some alcohol? <laughs> I meant like that I've covered and I've covered some doozies. Yes. Right, right, right. So oh. blanket everything warning. Here we go. Blanket me. Yeah, but cover Clutch yourself. your blanket warning. Weight yourself down. Oh. <laughs> Great. Okay. Okay. So James Clayton Vaughn Jr. Never trust a middle name Clayton. Mm. Ooh, that's rough. Was born in 1950 in Mobile, Alabama. He was one of four siblings, and his father, James Clayton Vaughn Sr., twist, twist, (laughs) was uh, a World War II veteran who made his living as a butcher. God, this is already creepy. (laughs) James Sr. was also an alcoholic and regularly abused his wife and children. I know you're both shocked. Yeah, my jazz on the flyer. (laughs) Zach and I were watching the Ken Burns baseball documentary last night because I just. Because you've given up. Given up. I just didn't care. You given up on fighting for (laughs) your rights in your marriage. I went went limp. Normally, I get I get to choose, but I just was like, Like, okay. I don't know. He cooks, so you did watch Practical Magic a couple of times in the last month. I'm sure, exactly. So I was like, okay, fine. It's history. I'll do it. There was this part where it was like, born in Truxton, New York, one of nine children. His father was an alcoholic and beat the family. His mother died when he was six, and then four of his siblings also died of typhoid, and then he ran away at 12, and we were just like... like the interview your dog sitter gave you today. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was just like every sentence was like more 1890s than the last sentence. God, typhoid. There's... Oh, my God. Then he... He... Hopped on a train yeah. and rode the rails with yeah. his knapsack on a <laughs> stick over yeah. his shoulder. Perpetually percent. dirty. Never learned to read or write. <laughs> but man, could he hit a ball. <laughs> he was a southpaw. <laughs> he lived off baked beans. I could live off baked beans, though. I really could. Okay. I love, love baked beans. beans. I'm texting Bill that I want baked beans with dinner today. What this happens every episode. Every episode. <laughs> Bill, please incorporate baked, baked beans, beans into dinner. <laughs> okay, so James and his shitty father. Okay, when James Jr. was eight, his father abandoned the family. Jesus Christ! Okay, are you talking? Is this about the baseball guy? No, <laughs> just I just thought of that. Although conditions were undoubtedly better without. Senior around, James Jr. would later claim that his mother, quote, didn't care about him or his siblings and that they were often neglected and rarely given enough to eat. Maybe this is true. Maybe she was just dealing with the trauma of the abuse that she had suffered from her Mm -hmm. husband and like the stress of raising children alone at this time. I don't know. It's a lot. Didn't sound. All of that is a lot. Yeah. Great. By the time he was in high school, James Jr. was already headed down a very dark path. He developed an interest in evangelical Christianity. Oh, no. And this was on on his own. A dark path. That is dark. (laughs) That's the darkest timeline, in my opinion. 
<laughs> which soon escalated to an interest in white supremacy and Nazism, because mm-hmm. for some people, all of those things are aligned. Yeah. Correlation. Not oh. causation, but correlation. Yikes. He would later recall reading Hitler's Mein Kampf as a life-changing experience. So much German. Just a casual. So much German and psychology. Mm. Yeah. Well, isn't Freud German? Austrian, maybe? But so Mm. was Hitler. Yeah. I don't know. The father of psychology. No, that was Wilhelm. Well, yeah. Wundt. I won't repeat myself. <laughs> won't get it twisted. <laughs> twisted. Amazing. Okay. Won't get it twisted. <laughs> Quote, I've never felt that way about any other book that I read. He probably didn't read that many books. It was something weird about that book. It's not even... Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you what's weird about it. Hitler wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> In There's prison. The first red flag. Yeah. <laughs> By the time he was in his early 20s, he was an official member of the National Socialist White People's Party. Oh, really, God. really had to like <laughs> On drive the nose. it home. I White love that people's heavy party. handedness. God. And fucking chill. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ku Klux Klan, which is very uh. difficult to say. <laughs> He also changed his name from James Clayton Vaughn Jr. to Joseph Paul Franklin. Okay. And this was a name that he chose in order to pay homage to Paul Joseph Goebbels. Gerbils? Gerbils, the Nazi. Goebbels. Oh. Ugh. Goebbels? Yeah, but it's pronounced Goebbels. Oh, I didn't know that. You gotta gorgle it. Yeah. Gerbils. 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 Okay. The Nazi gerbils. And Benjamin uh, Franklin. What we were just mix. talking about the other day. I thought Ben Franklin was like kind of cool. Listen, I don't think Ben Franklin Thomas aligned Jefferson with any of this. Yeah. Invented the bifocal. Thomas Jefferson had nothing to do with bifocals. <laughs> <laughs> it's like In- the one fact you should know about Ben Franklin. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think Ben Franklin was bad. I don't. I don't know. I think for him it was just like a founding father. I don't know. Listen, he latched they're all bad. It. They're all bad. Yeah, <laughs> and that, well, compared to right, right. I don't think he own. I don't think he was an compared enslaver. to gerbils. He's probably fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. some people say that the Franklin came from a, a like an evangelist preacher named Joseph Franklin. I don't know. Okay, so now we're gonna call him Joseph Paul Franklin. That's right, because he changed his name. Eventually, he left Mobile, Alabama and settled into an existence as a drifter, moving up and down the East Coast. And living so off can't wait to settle beans. into an existence. <laughs> living off baked beans and I, all of his possessions. He was a softball. In a Confederate flag <laughs> handkerchief oh hanging from his uh, stick. I'm sorry, but now in my mind... The baseball player Dirty. and this guy are the, the same, same guy. fucking yeah. thing. I know. Blended the identity. Don't tell Zach. He'll be upset. Really <laughs> fucked me up. No, I'm sorry. Zach's going to be pissed that you ruined baseball for us. Because we've just, just layered this evil baseball. Nazi over this poor, innocent baseball player. <laughs> so, memory. Memory can get Can't fucked up. Can't trust it. 
Eyewitness testimony. I would testify in court that that baseball player was a nomadic Nazi with a Confederate flag. He <laughs> lived a hundred years later. I saw it. Oh, anyway. I, I saint it. He's a drifter. Uh, he's supporting himself through a combination of bank robberies and blood bank donations. Good, good balance. He's helping society. Mm-hmm. Plasma. Mm-hmm. So he's robbing money banks. And, and giving, giving blood to, to blood, blood, blood banks. banks. A lot of banks. Selling yeah. blood. He's not really giving it. Yeah, yeah, he's selling it. So his stated mission during this time was to seek out opportunities to, quote, cleanse the world nope. of, quote, inferior races. The only time blood I'm donation. okay with the word cleanse is when it's on a facial product. Yeah. Or a colon. Sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. If it's an enema mm-hmm. or some Bring it kind on. of medical spa procedure. Fine mm-hmm. by me. So in 1977, Franklin began translating his hateful ideology into actual crimes. It, well, besides, into violent crimes. Sure. Okay. In late July of that year, Franklin planted an incendiary device inside Beth Shalom Synagogue in Chattanooga, Ugh. Tennessee. Jesus. And Chattanooga is like a really fun and cute town. And so mm-hmm. this is a major bummer. Great accents. Yeah. Although the building was entirely destroyed, miraculously, no one was killed because low attendance that Friday evening meant that there were not the minimum 10 people required to make up a minion, which you have to have 12 adults and historically mm. 12 adult men in order to have a religious service. Oh, in, I didn't in know Judaism. That. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's part of like beca- like turning 13 and having right. a bar or bat mitzvah. The then, mitzvahs, yeah. Then you count as an adult in the minion. Got it. Oh, cool. Right. Oh, I love it. So they didn't have enough people. There are also like lots of people who like volunteer at synagogues to like always be there to make up the minion, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So they didn't have the 12 people. And so... The worshipers went home early because they couldn't have the service. So luckily, like, that was a miracle and amazing. And so yeah, his attack didn't kill anyone. Yeah. Because otherwise it, it would have been – it. the building was destroyed. Right. But it was empty, thank, thank right. God. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a Friday night, so it was, like, Shabbat services. Right. Like, it should have been – he had, like, done his homework. Yeah. It was, like, a total mm-hmm. fluke that they – and it wasn't full. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, however, Franklin's next attack, which came only about a week later, would be deadly. On August 7th, 1977, he shot and killed a young interracial couple, Alphonse Manning Jr. and Tony Schwen, Tony with an I, Mm. in a parking lot in Madison, Wisconsin. Good Lord. He's all over the place. Yeah. Well, he's a drifter. Oh, true. A couple months later, Franklin struck again, this time in a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. He concealed himself in some bushes outside of the Brith Shalom Knesseth, Israel Synagogue, and began firing at worshipers as they arrived for services. Jesus Christ. He reportedly chose this specific synagogue at random from the local fucking yellow pages. Ugh. Ew. Yet Mm -hmm. another reason. To get rid of the yellow pages. 
Amanda's ugh was at the yellow pages. I mean, both. There's enough ugh to go around, but it's a waste of paper and it gives people too much information. Not that they can't find it all on the internet. I haven't seen a yellow pages in a very long time. They exist. They exist. I almost worked for the yellow pages. I we our friendship would have ended. I wow. did an undercover thing at the Yellow Pages. Oh, yeah, you sure you did. did. With now, right? Yeah, with the National yeah. Organization for Women. Anyway, a 42-year-old man named Gerald Gordon was killed in the shooting and two others were injured. So he just, you know, when you just hide in bushes outside right. of a synagogue and start shooting at right. people. You're just picking people off yeah, at that point. That's yeah. just, what the fuck? It's disgusting. You can never feel safe. Mm-mm. So Franklin was able to flee the crime scene without being caught, and his status as a drifter meant that authorities had no reason to suspect at this point that this attack was part of a larger spree or the mm-hmm. t- attack in Chattanooga necessarily. Because had linked them. They had right. linked them because they're so far apart. One was an incendiary device. One was a shooting. Right, and like right. there's The MO is There's a that, lot yeah. of anti-Semitism. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, unfortunately. The pickings are not slim. Right. Yeah. So Franklin's next attack did not occur until March of 1978, and this time he focused his murderous rage on a much more high-profile target. Carrying a Marlin 44 caliber semi-automatic rifle, which apparently is a weapon that's designed to kill large game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. He ambushed Hustler publisher Larry Flint. Oh, and no his way. What and, a weird, weird. Yeah, and his lawyer, Gene Reeves, as they walked from a restaurant where they had eaten lunch to a courthouse in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where they were fighting misdemeanor obscenity charges. So he just, like, zeroed in on Larry fucking Flint. Okay. Reeves fell into a coma as a result of the shooting, from which he eventually awoke and made a full and miraculous recovery. Whoa. But Flint was left a paraplegic, which I didn't know any of this about Larry Flint. I didn't yeah, that's either. So weird. Yeah. Although there were several conspiracy theories surrounding this shooting, including that Flint had been targeted by the U.S. government, it is now pretty much universally agreed that Franklin was the shooter and that he targeted Flint because of his anger over a magazine spread that featured interracial sex. Oh, God, my this God. guy needs to fucking relax. Yeah. Yup. God. Again, Franklin was able to successfully flee the scene. And it would not be tied to him until much, much later. Because mm-hmm. he's just so random. Yeah. Yeah. After the Flint shooting, Franklin continued his rampage, always staying on the move and never striking in the same place twice in a row. So he committed crimes far and wide. Mm. Oh. See? 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 Although... In July of 1978, he returned to Chattanooga, where he shot and killed another black man, the victim named Bryant Tatum. And he also shot Tatum's white girlfriend, Nancy Hilton, who survived. Mm. Did he kill the other couple? Yes. Okay. Yes. He killed both of them. Okay. Alphonse Manning Jr. and Tony Schwen. Mm -hmm. So at this point... Interracial couples seemed to become the primary focus of his hatred. He was also doing the synagogue stuff, but now he's zeroing in on the interracial stuff. Yeah. This is still not linked by authorities? No. No. 
Hmm. About a year later, in July of 1979, he fatally shot a black man named Harold McIver in Doraville, Georgia, as he worked a night shift at a fast food restaurant that he managed because uh, Franklin believed him to be in, quote, close contact with several white women. Oh, oh my God. Three months later, in Oklahoma City, he attacked another interracial couple, shooting and killing a man named Jesse Taylor and his longtime partner, Marion Bissett. Or, sorry, Brissett. In May of 1980, Franklin once again went after another high-profile target. He shot business executive and civil rights activist Vernon Jordan outside of a Marriott hotel in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's just, like... Going. Yeah. Going. Yeah. All the fuck over the place. At the time, Jordan was the president of the National Urban League. Franklin reportedly chose him as a target after seeing him out having drinks with a white woman named Martha Coleman, who was a member of the league, mm -hmm. and followed the two as they left the bar in her car. My God. So he's just, like, keeping an eye out. And if right. he ever, like, sees an interracial couple or even, right. like, people hanging out. Right. It's attack he was mode. patrolling. Right. Yeah. Yep. He shot Jordan twice in the back as he exited Coleman's car in the hotel's parking lot around 2 a.m. So I don't think he knew that he was as high profile as he was. I think he just literally mm. saw them at the bar. God. Jordan was seriously injured but managed to survive the assassination attempt. At first, suspicion fell on Martha herself, who had been the only witness to the shooting. Mm. Neighbors interviewed by police spoke of her four failed mar marriages and, quote, suspicious social ties. Oh, oh for God's God sake. So basically, her neighbors were like, <laughs> well, I think she's a slut and she right. probably did it because, nah, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. This woman is just living her life. Right. One neighbor told People Magazine in 1980 that, quote, there were a lot of men going in and out of her house. She had more black friends than white. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, my gosh. What a scandal. Ugh. Yep. This was not that long ago. That was in no. 1980. Jesus. Yeah. However, another neighbor who was interviewed seemed to believe the rumors about Martha's involvement in the shooting were motivated primarily by jealousy and... Mm -hmm. Quote, she had money, did as she pleased, and led the kind of independent life most women around here wish they could. Yep. There you go. She was Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> she had money. She did as she pleased. <laughs> she didn't have no kids. I don't know how many people wish they could, but <laughs> you can. It's not bad. I'm she had okay. rabbits. I yeah. do have rabbits. <laughs> so Jordan went on to make a full recovery and would eventually become a close advisor to President Clinton. Like in the case of the Flint shooting, it would not be until years after the fact that this attempt on his life would be tied to Joseph Paul Franklin. They just, mm. it was just like random, they mm -hmm. thought. A week after shooting Vernon Jordan, Franklin was in Cincinnati, Ohio. His chosen targets for his next attack were another interracial couple, and he had positioned himself on an overpass <gasps> where he believed he would have a vantage point to shoot them when oh they my. walked Bye. God, oh, he hides oh, in bushes. He ambushes people in parking lots. What a piece of shit! Yeah, absolute psycho. Yeah, total fucking nutsing. Just mm -hmm. lying in wait for Jews or black people, right? Yep. To yep. come by, right? Yep. I mean, so we yeah. can just take them out. Yep. That's 
But before the couple in question arrived, two black teenagers, Daryl Lane, who was 14, and Dante Evans-Brown, who was 13, walked into Franklin's view. Literal oh, children. my God. Babies. Mm-hmm. The two boys were cousins who were on their way to the store to buy candy. Yep. Franklin decided that they would replace his original targets, and he shot and killed both boys. Oh, my God. Just walking by. To buy candy. Mm-hmm. Yep. There are photos on the drive of these victims, and they're just such sweet, smiley little babies. Poor guys. Told you you guys wouldn't like this man. Yeah, he's... he's. I don't like you. He's great. This is great. <laughs> Everything's fine. Everything's fine. A week after that, he was in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where he shot and killed 22-year-old Arthur Smothers and 16-year-old Kathleen McCoola, another interracial couple. Good mm. God. And only 10 days after that, he struck again in Pocahontas County, West Virginia. So he's just like practically always in another, in a different state. Yeah, he's yeah. moving around. I know he's a drifter, but he's moving around a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, at this point, it's probably... On purpose. He's fleeing oh, of the course. scene. Yeah. It's just interesting uh-huh. how so he's it, able to do that. So in West Virginia, he shot and killed two white women, 26-year-old Vicky Durian and 19-year-old Nancy Santomero. Franklin would later confess to this crime, saying that he had picked the two women up as hitchhikers and decided to kill them after one of them mentioned having a black boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Wait. He's a drifter, but he must have a car. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Sometimes yeah, he has a car. Yeah. God. You were still picturing baseball man hopping yep. trains. Yeah. Yes. With smudged dirt you. face. I know. It's uh, ni- It's 1980. Mm-hmm. He's okay. not hopping on trains as much. Eating beans with a dirty as face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. He yeah, also has absolutely no qualms with killing children. Mm-hmm. No. This man he's... is a complete psychopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's selling his blood to blood banks for cash and yep. just driving and murdering people. Making it work. Yep. Can't be that lucrative. Well, we will get to it. Ooh. So then in August of 1980, Franklin shot and killed two black men named Ted Fields and David Martin in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm-hmm. This would be his last known attack before he was finally apprehended. Thank Christ. It's about fucking time. Yeah. On his way back east from Utah, Franklin was stopped by police in Kentucky and questioned about a firearm that was in his car. Uh-oh. He fled from the officers, which, like, if he had just been chill, mm-hmm. they probably would have let him go. Yeah. Arousing their suspicions, and it was not long before he was considered a potential suspect in several sniper killings. That by that cool. point had been tied to each other despite the different locations. So the like overpass one and, you know, some of the other ones. The officers who detained Franklin had noticed several conspicuous racist tattoos providing further indication that he may have been responsible for the obviously racially motivated killings. Mm-hmm. Which I still feel like that was a lucky traffic stop in Kentucky because mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. could be a lot of people that fit that bill. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Psychologists in the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit. Now Ooh. it's circling. Here we go. Mind hunters. We're getting there. Had been at work creating a profile of the unknown perpetrator of these crimes, the ones that they had linked. Based on the limited information available, they believe that he used at least 18 pseudonyms, changed cars and weapons frequently, and regularly dyed his hair different colors. Wow. Ooh. 
The profile focused on the common theme of racism that tied the crimes together and led profilers to predict that Franklin would eventually return to a familiar and comfortable area like Mobile, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Where his and tattoos might not look so conspicuous. Right, right. Where he could blend in. Yeah. With his guns and his racist bumper stickers and his racist tattoos. Right. Ugh. And this is exactly what he did. He was briefly spotted in Mobile, but happened to evade capture that time. But they were like, okay, we think it's this guy. Investigators soon discovered Franklin's habit of donating blood when he was in need of extra cash. And actually, mm. I read that that was part of the profile on him as well. They were yep. like, he's probably some kind of drifter, can't yep. hold down a job. And one of the ways that people can make cash yep. easily from blood. anywhere is donating blood. Mm-hmm. So that was in the profile thanks to a forensic psychologist. Cool. So... They issued a nationwide alert that blood banks should be on the lookout for someone matching this description. Mm. Oh. Smart. Isn't that smart? Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't long before a blood bank worker in Florida noticed Franklin's racist tattoos and called police to report his location. Mm. Yes. Good. Good job. Isn't that amazing? That is really I think that cool. is so fucking smart. Well, considering smart. you have anywhere in the country yeah. to yeah. be looking mm-hmm. for this person. Yeah. It's like, really right. smart. And all the blood banks, you know, pretty much communicate with one another, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to send out a kind of alert and bulletin. You don't have to phone up each one. Right. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And you got some, they're a sitting duck for a while when uh-huh. you're getting their blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they have, yeah, it takes a minute. Right. Dang. Love it. You can hang, you know, can make them wait around doing some paperwork. Absolutely. And early 80s, maybe they didn't have this technology, but you have their DNA when they I leave. Know DNA. <laughs> That's true. I don't think mm-hmm. they had quite realized that. They could maybe do the, um, Seasons what's it called? Blood, blood type. Yeah. Secretor, non-secretor. Mm-hmm. They could at least yeah. do that, that, that very basic stuff, but I, I think. But I don't think he really left, he didn't really leave any DNA at any of his crimes to because they were there was like except for the bomb attack, mm. but he, wasn't they were he in trouble so, earlier in life for some something stupid? So maybe sure. they had it on file. But I mean, at his crimes, like when he's sniping people from a overpass, or he's you know they didn't have epithelial DNA. Yeah, back then it wasn't he wasn't raping people, so mm-hmm. it was CODIS probably right. So there's not much to yeah test. From the crime scenes. Well, right. Anyway. In another world. Right. So anyway, the blood bank thing, I thought it was genius. Yeah, that yes, is genius. It is. And he was arrested in Lakeland, Florida on October 28th, 1980. Bye-bye. Charging him with his crimes, though, proved complex because they had taken place in so many different states. I mean, we have Tennessee, Indiana, West right. Virginia, yeah. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Utah, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all over the damn place. So Utah uh, was the first case to go to trial, and a jury sentenced him in 1981 to four life terms for the murders of Ted Fields and David Martin. Were those Others, the little boys? No, the, these were um, two other black male victims. Okay. Other states soon followed suit, and by 1986, he was facing charges in Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Indiana, Ohio, and Florida. Which is not even all of the states that could yeah. have prosecuted. 
In some states, authorities simply considered their cases closed without actually bothering to charge him because he had already racked up so many life sentences and other trials Mm -hmm. that they were just like, we're not going to waste the state's resources. Yeah. You know? While serving his life sentences for the Utah murder, Franklin confessed to shooting Larry Flint back in 1978, which he was never, they never thought it was him for that one. Right. Because, like, people thought it was somebody who cared about, like, indecent exposure and toadies and whatever. And, like, it was such... Conspiracy theories that it was the U.S. government. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So he was then indicted but never tried for that crime and uh, because he was already facing all these other penalties. So Franklin was convicted in the 1977 murder of Gerald Gordon outside of the Missouri synagogue for which he received another death sentence when he was like waiting in the bushes. Mm -hmm. Overall, investigators believe Franklin is responsible for at least eight 18 murders and five non-fatal shootings in 11 states. What? Plus two bombings and 16 bank robberies. Oh, my God. And and like we mentioned earlier, in so many places. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was like... All over the place. Mm -hmm. In a span of like, well, he... Not that long. Not that long. Yeah. A handful of years. Three or four years. Yeah. Right. Oh, my God. Part of... One thing that I've realized from doing this podcast is that bank robberies are usually just like the fucking tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like people who are willing to like do a fucking bank robbery... They're gonna escalate to doing some other wild shit. Yeah, yeah. Bank robberies are so dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they happen like kind of a lot. Kind yeah. of a lot. They're pretty common. <laughs> and if you can get away with that, probably feel right. really emboldened to do whatever exactly. the fuck right. else you want. The adrenaline. He's, yeah, the mm-hmm. adrenaline. It gives you a rush. It's like an addiction. Yeah. yeah. So Ohio prosecutor Joe Dieters referred to Franklin as "quote the worst serial killer I have ever dealt with." Oh my god, just a shit person. Yep, Dieters became. I mean, not that that's surprising, but still. But he's like like when you when you when you when you regularly deal with violent criminals, and this this guy is hands down the worst. To earn the worst serial killer I've ever dealt with is quite an honor. Mm Hmm. It's a lot of freaks who come out of Ohio too. Yeah. <laughs> look at look at Christine from and no. that's why we drink. Can't oh. trust her. Freak. Total total freak. <laughs> we love you, Christine. We love you so I much. I can't obviously. wait to meet Leona. Obviously, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this guy became personally involved in in the case in 1997 after Franklin confessed to a cellmate that he had shot and killed two black teenagers in Cincinnati back in 1980. So now he's like just confessing in prison because, like, he doesn't have fucking anything to lose. Right. So were those the two young boys? Uh, well, he killed... I believe that he's referring... Were, the, were those two boys in Cincinnati? He has so many victims. Yeah. I know. And he's we killed other teenagers that I don't yeah. remember if those two were in Cincinnati. They were. Okay, oh, wait. So- a week after the shooting, Franklin was in Cincinnati, and that's when he killed the... F- uh, Daryl Lane, 14, and Dante Evans Brown, 13. Okay, so then it's them. So Dieter set out to get a confession on the record and finally closed the case of the murders of Daryl Lane. Okay, and Dante Evans Brown, sorry. Dieter's recalls being told that Franklin hated men and would be more likely to talk to an attractive young white woman. Mm-hmm. 
basically a Fox News correspondent they like brought in to interview him because otherwise he wasn't going to talk. So Franklin agreed and they solicited the help of a young assistant prosecutor named Melissa Powers. And there is a photo of Melissa on the drive. Mm Mm-hmm. Great bangs. Yeah. So Franklin agreed to see Powers if Great bangs. <laughs> if she would agree to a handful of his conditions. Mm. And these were his conditions. No cameras, but she was allowed a tape recorder. And no meeting on Hitler's birthday because that was a holiday for him. He prefers to observe privately. He prefers to observe 420. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. Yeah. And God. I'm sure she was like. God. Fine. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's all right. I'll cancel all my other plans. Yeah. Oh, no. I'll cancel my Hitler's birthday barbecue. Right. Jesus. He is such Ugh. a weirdo. He's Absolute a fucking, fucking piece of shit. Psycho. So Powers would later say, quote, basically what I was doing was very similar to what Clarice was doing in Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. I would keep hitting him with how smart he was or how only he could have figured that out mm. and got him, you know, warmed up. Stroke the ego. Yep. Yep. Smart. Powers succeeded in getting Franklin to confess on tape not only to the murders of Daryl and Dante, but to four others as well that he had not previously been tied to. Mm-hmm. She also testified as a witness at his trial, bing, 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 and he was convicted and sentenced to two more life sentences. Wow. And although these sentences are, like, largely symbolic and for the families, as he was, like, already facing the death penalty in, I think, multiple states, Powers- matters to the victims. It does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to those families. Power stated in an interview, quote, I think for the families, especially the mothers of these children, mm-hmm. to get that closure meant quite a bit to them. And I yeah. think that that was the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. It does. It matters. Yeah. Those poor babies. Can you imagine your 13-year-old son yeah. and his 14-year-old cousin are just Literal walking children. to get candy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mowed down Mowed by down a by racist. A crazy fucking yeah, psychotic racist, racist yeah. from an overpass. Ugh. Fucking Christ. I mean, no, I can't imagine that. That'd be horrific. So there was a fair amount of pushback against the death penalty sentence for him. And some of this came from a psychiatrist named Dorothy Now Lewis, who had interviewed Franklin at length and testified that she believed that he was a paranoid schizophrenic and unfit to stand trial. And she noted his history of delusional thinking, for example, refusing to grant certain interviews if phone number digits added up to what he believed to be an unlucky number. Huh. Okay. A little odd, but yep. okay. There's also, you know, a Nazi into numerology, yep. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And his childhood history of abuse. Personally, I don't think that he, I mean, <laughs> I'm obviously a doctor, yeah. Uh, but I but I don't obviously think he super fits the profile of a paranoid schizophrenic. I think mm-hmm. he's just a nutbag, but whatever. Larry Flint himself called for leniency, not letting him out of prison, but just not the death penalty. Sure. Stating, quote, that a government that forbids killing among its citizens should not be in the business of killing people itself. So he yeah. just has like a blanket stance against the death penalty. Mm-hmm. There were also concerns about the drug that would be used for the lethal injection, which was a new formula that required only a single drug and had never been used before because the state of Missouri had not executed anyone in over three years. 
But despite various objections, Franklin, who was now 63, was executed on November 20th, 2013. And he had no final words. So that's just how he went out. Wow. Bye-bye. Mm. Bye-bye. Not I'm against the death penalty, but like bye-bye. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's the guy. Wild. But the blood bank thing really yeah. got me. It was yeah. like, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And yeah. then it actually is how they caught him. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is very smart. Very yeah. interesting. Good work. Nice yeah. work. I'd never heard of that guy. I so had neither, and he is horrific. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Real sad stuff there. Mm-hmm. Kenyon. Well, you're welcome. Great you're work. Any quick word from our sponsors, please. Just a real quick <laughs> mental health sponsor break. As the year ends, another holiday season is upon us. Where does the time go? I have no idea. I thought it was still August. It's really jarring. Yeah. And so holiday season for many of us means travel and family. And I don't know about you, but I get extremely anxious about traveling. And I love my family, but it can be a lot. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're, oh, I don't know, hosting Thanksgiving in three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit stressful around the holiday season. Speaking from personal here. <laughs> it's not not stressful. And then, like, people bring their dogs. And, okay. Like, well. There's always, like, a vegan. Like, okay, it's just a lot. There's a lot. So, tis the season to be jolly, but sometimes it just doesn't really feel that way. And that is okay. You can ease some of the burdens that the holidays bring with Talkspace Online Therapy. Mm-hmm. Everybody deserves therapy. Everybody deserves to, to, you know, have a professional that they can talk to about their lives and their thoughts and, you know, stressors that are happening to them and, and figure out strategies to feel better in their day-to-day lives. Therapy is just an amazing tool for everybody out there. And I love the Talkspace setup personally because it they make it so easy to match with a licensed therapist and schedule that first session. So like that can be very daunting if you're like, I don't know, what did people used to do? Open up the phone book and just like point at a name? You know, that's not that's not the way to do it. So they they match you with a licensed therapist and you can get started right away and you don't have to put on pants or leave your house to start talking with that therapist. It's That's the best part. It's the best. It's so convenient. And Talkspace is ready to help you start feeling better with a single message. You can set goals with your Talkspace therapist and develop techniques to cope in difficult times. And they offer individual therapy, couples therapy, and medication prescription services. So they got it all, people. They really do. So if you need a little support to help you through the end of the year, or if you want to start building towards a better upcoming year, Talkspace is here to help. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with our promo code GALS, G-A-L-S. That's $100 off when you use code GALS at Talkspace.com and treat your brain. Treat it. 
As small business owners, we can attest to the fact that the holidays can be hectic if you are selling anything online. The, the the holidays are coming up. They are barreling towards us, and it is time to prepare for this busy, jolly time of year. So between growing your business, managing inventory, and juggling orders, you've got a lot going on this holiday season. Make shipping the easiest part of your day with ShipStation. Oh, honey, I can attest, I can attest, the <laughs> holidays as a small business who participates in e-commerce, mm -hmm. it, it's, it can be an absolute nightmare. But mm -hmm. I am so thankful that we have been using ShipStation since day one. Yep. Five years we've we've been with ShipStation. It has been so fantastic. Their support is out of this world. I have never felt so accomplished, like getting so much done, being so productive. And it feels really simple because of just how easy ShipStation is to work with. Mm -hmm. So figuring out the best way to ship your orders can be frustrating and confusing. Yes, to both. ShipStation makes it quick, easy, and convenient, so you can easily import orders from any sales channel. You can automate just about any shipping task. Let me tell you, when I like dug into learning about the automation within ShipStation, it was a total game changer. Mm -hmm. So that means you can spend less time sorting through orders and more time doing what you do best, if it's talking about murder, if drinking it's making, wine. drinking wine, making fun of the patriarchy, all of the above. ShipStation integrates all selling channels into one simple dashboard so you can seamlessly connect carriers, print shipping labels, and get products out the door lightning fast. Mm -hmm. Over 100,000 sellers use ShipStation in their businesses. So take it from us. It works. It absolutely works. ShipStation works with all the major carriers and gives you exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS shipping so you can compare carriers and choose the best solution for you and your customers. I love it because no small business is alike. You know, mm -hmm. we're all dealing with different challenges. We all have different goals. And you want to keep your customers happy and you want to make your life convenient. Yeah, definitely the latter. <laughs> <laughs> and with ShipStation, they just make it so easy to do both of those things. Small businesses can now access the same rates usually reserved for Fortune 500 companies without the contracts or the commitments. So you know that you're getting an excellent deal. And just a side note, their customer service is so freaking good. Cannot recommend ShipStation enough for small businesses. Yep. So it is never too early to start prepping for the holiday rush. You don't want to leave things last minute. So get a head start with ShipStation. Our listeners can use our offer code GALS, G-A-L-S, to get a 60-day free trial just in time for the holidays. That's two months of stress-free holiday shipping for free. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top, and enter in GALS, G-A-L-S. ShipStation, make ship happen. So this holiday season, we want to gift our loved ones something that makes them feel special and unique, just like the relationship that we share with them. And that is why I keep coming back to StoryWorth as a fantastic gift idea for the holidays. 
could not think of a better or more personalized gift idea than StoryWorth. Mm-hmm. So StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It's a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions that you've never thought to ask, like what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to, to know? Um, mm-hmm. These It, it kind of feels like one of those like card games that you sit around with your friends and like they just like they're 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 prompts and they really prompt really interesting responses that you Definitely. you know it's, it's a very unique and effective way of like pulling memories out of somebody and like sometimes the people that we're closest to we've never actually like taken the time to get to know them in this kind of way like especially with like older family members oh yeah it's it's just amazing what they've lived through that you know you've you've probably never heard them talk about yeah, so like consider a grandparent or somebody who you don't normally just sit down and chat with outside of, mm-hmm. you know, normal grandparent conversation. So maybe you want to know like what they did for fun when they were your age. Mm-hmm. You know, just the really fascinating things and that and that also preserves their memories, you know, for after they're gone. So you can pass that down to other generations. Yep. Even close friends, it just, uh, it's just, it's really cool the way that it works. So mm-hmm. after one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. I did this for my grandma, and she just pulled out the most incredible stories of raising, helping to raise her like 600 siblings during mm-hmm. the Dust Bowl Great Depression era. It's like, amazing. It's so cool. I love it. And reading the weekly stories helps you connect with loved ones no matter how near or how far apart you are. And what is more important during the holidays than that? Exactly. So with StoryWorth, we are giving those that we love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Honestly, it's like a gift for them and for you and Mm -hmm. for everybody else in your family or it you know in your community in your circle of loved ones it's amazing so go to storyworth.com slash gals and save ten dollars on your first purchase that's storyworth.com slash gals to save ten dollars on your first purchase and treat your loved ones treat them so are you ready for my case which is people don't die oh okay winner winner chicken dinner So this is a famous case, but one that I knew very little about, because once again, I am the least educated true crime podcaster when it comes to true crime. (laughs) Yep. It's like I have the the memory of a goldfish. I'm learning everything for the first time every day. It's 51st day. It's over here. Uh So it's great. Found my wallet, by the way. (laughs) Three weeks later. Over a month. Okay. So let's Only had to replace two credit cards. Only had to replace two cards. I feel good about that. Let's go back in time to New York City on November 16th, 1940, which is actually almost 81 years to the day as we're recording this. 
Wow. wow. Just Wild, like right? even 81 years ago. Uh-huh. Yep. So creepsters. Anyway, so on that chilly November day at the Consolidated Edison Power Plant on 170 West 64th Street in Manhattan, folks arriving for work found an odd item perched on a windowsill. And I'm not sure if this was inside or outside of the building, but I think it was outside. I just didn't dig deep enough to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure it was outside. What they found was a weathered wooden toolbox wrapped in a note that read, Con Edison Crooks, this is for you. Signed, FP. Obviously creeped out by this, the local authorities were called to remove and evaluate the contents of the box. And inside, they found the makings of a crude pipe bomb with an ignition mechanism made of sugar and flashlight batteries, which in the 40s wouldn't be like double A's. It'd probably be like pretty big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically, my diet in college, sugar and flashlight flashlight batteries. batteries. Yeah. And (laughs) what what powers your vibrator now in 2021? And not the modern ones. The big (laughs) ones. The big ones. It's a crank. It shocks you when you touch it. Yeah. (laughs) So the bomb didn't go off. And obviously, because they got the note off of it. But and investigators were left puzzled as to the intention of the mysterious deliverer. Like, was it meant to remain unsploded so that the recipients <laughs> I, could read the note? Oh, unsploded? Because obviously the note would be yeah. toast if the bomb had actually gone off. So, like, what would have been the point of the note? You know, right. so maybe it was an intentional dud to just send a message. Oh. That a quiet year went by without any leads or new discoveries when in September of 1941, again, almost a year later, Another bomb was found in the street about five blocks from Consolidated Edison headquarters. This bomb did not go off either, but this time no note was attached. Investigators were able to surmise that the bomb was made by the same person because it was almost identical to the previous and seemed to be targeting Consolidated Edison. Yeah. But also theorized that the deliverer was accidentally stopped in the act of delivering and igniting this bomb, which is why it didn't make it any closer to Con Edison and why it never went off. So, like, maybe a passing police officer scared him off or a nosy stranger got in the way. We don't know. Mm-hmm. The need to shit. The need to shit. Mm-hmm. Ran him off. Mm-hmm. You never know. So, two months later, the United States enters World War II in December of 1941. A letter arrived that same month to a nearby New York precinct in the exact penmanship of the note wrapped around the first bomb. This note read, quote, I will make no more bomb units for the duration of the war. My patriotic feelings have made me decide this. Later, I will bring the Con Edison to justice. They will pay for their dastardly deeds. FP. What the fuck? Do you think you're in a comic book? I mean, it was the 40s, first of all. Second of all, we just don't write like we used to, and I'm sad about it. <laughs> bring back dastardly. Yeah, dastardly. Bring dastardly it back. good. But FP wasn't His kidding. Patriotic feelings won't let him. He, oh he wasn't. F- he wasn't kidding. He didn't plant a single bomb for a decade as the U.S. participated in World War II, and then obviously the war ended in like 1945. But then we were recovering from World War II. Oh, so good thing his patriotic feelings endured. Built that in, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he he wasn't quiet during that time, though. He sent a lot of letters. So yeah. clearly he didn't he had enlist. A lot of feels. Despite his patriotic feelings, he did not enlist or he was too old to enlist Mm -hmm. or had a health condition that wouldn't let him enlist. So, like, they're starting to chip away. They have some very pertinent information and we'll Mm -hmm. get to it. And he fucking hates Con Ed. Yeah. There's probably a reason for that. Yeah. 
So yeah. he wrote a lot of letters and sent them to police stations, newspapers, Con Edison, of course, and even just random people like civilians of New York City who like do not know this Once person. Once again, the yellow pages, the phone yeah. books. Try Get out. fucking again. rid of it. Get rid of it. <laughs> Investigators diligently studied, studied, I've had one, the penmanship of the letters, most of which were immediately turned into the police. So if it, like this is in the press. It's been going on. Mm-hmm. These letters have been sent over the course of a decade. People know and they're like, I'm going to get, I got this weird fucking letter. I'm just going to hand it over. Right. So they're looking at the penmanship and they notice an odd style choice in the way the letters Y and G were written. And there's a scan of one of his letters on the drive if you want to look at it. So like if you look at the Y in the, the he writes all in uppercase and like the stand, the tail of the Y has like a weird bump in it, like a squiggle. And then his G's are very odd. Like that he has, it almost looks like a C with two lines coming out oh, from either break G's, in the C. His G's are bizarre. Very distinct. I've Very never distinct. seen a G like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll get to the G, baby. All caps. Oh, I mm-hmm. like the G. I like it too, but maybe, you know, not one to uh Maybe don't capture this. You place. know what it looks like? The little fart cloud emoji. Oh, it does, but without it a bu- without bubbles. Without the bubbles. Yeah, if yeah. you look at the word ago. Uh-huh. It really looks like that A is just farting on that O. Little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so. Or the other way around. Sorry. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Some experts attributed these differences in how he's writing to a possible Eastern European education. So apparently this is maybe like a thing in Eastern yeah. European language. Okay. And penmanship. So this obviously was not much to go on because it's fucking New York City and like. You know, there's a lot of immigrants and a lot of people living there. But they were combing through Con Edison's list of past and present employees and chipping away at this case as best they could. But there were so many possible leads and so many former employees with a reason to hate Con Edison that this, like, didn't narrow things down all that much. (laughs) Not substantially enough to even really be conducting, like, interviews, you know, Mm -hmm. at least at the time. So then, in March of 1951, several years after the war had ended, another bomb popped up in New York City, this time in Grand Central Station. This bomb was not a dud and did go off, but thankfully didn't injure anyone, which is kind of amazing. And, like, as I was writing this, I was like, how the fuck? But then, as we go on, you come to realize that these these bombs are small, localized explosions. They're not massive. They're sugar and Batteries. Yeah, yeah, there's sugar and batteries in a, in a, in, a, in a small. He didn't pipe know what bomb. the fuck he was really doing. Well, he knew he knew exactly what he was doing, but he didn't. He was trying to send a message. He wasn't trying to kill anybody. Blow up mm. the building. Exactly. Exactly. So, it, but it's still pretty amazing because this was placed in like one of those tall ashtrays with like sand in the bottom. Uh huh. So like those, and that would have been made. They're not plastic. That would have been like 50s. shrapnel. Yeah. yeah. Like it. it it's, it could that could have been really bad. It's got sand and metal in the bottom of yeah. it. And it was right outside of the Grand Central Oyster Bar and Restaurant. So it's like a high traffic spot. I want oysters. I know, right? I'll add that to my baked beans list. Oh, not, uh, not a good combo. Listen. <laughs> oh, yuck. Don't tell me how to eat. <laughs> a month later, another bomb goes off in a telephone booth at the New York Public Library. Once again, no injuries. And things are then quiet until August when another bomb went off in another phone booth, this time back at Grand Central Station. Again, no injuries. So scary. 
So police didn't immediately connect the dots because without, like, intact bombs to collect, they couldn't be sure this was the work of FP. And these were not targeted at Con Edison. So, and they're just these, like, little kind of annoying bombs. Mm -hmm. So they thought it was, like, a bunch of shitty teenagers pulling pranks around the city. Mm. But then a bomb went off shortly after in another phone booth, but this time at Con Edison headquarters, and they figured it out. But still, no injuries. So then another bomb was mailed to a Con Edison location in White Plains, New York, and this one did not go off at all, and investigators were able to evaluate it and attribute its build officially to FP, though he had gotten more advanced in his construction, which led some investigators to believe that he may have military and, like, mechanic training. Mm -hmm. Because it's pre-internet, so it wasn't so easy to just, like, go online, go on Reddit and figure out how to make a fucking... No, he was, like, learning as he did. Every time you say FP... I have I to know. remind myself it's not fucking patriarchy. Yep. Yeah. Neither this case nor Taylor Swift are referencing our I know. FP. Sadly, I really woke up. We this wanted it to be true. To reports <laughs> that Taylor Swift shouted out whining mm-hmm. crime on her new album. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. My life has changed. We're going to nope. be number one. My whole world has changed. <laughs> nope. Whatever. No. She just said, fuck the patriarchy, which is great. And right. I yeah. support it. But, it but we did not was, invent that. We didn't invent that, sadly. Sadly. And, no. yeah. But Taylor, but get I'm, at us. Yeah, hopefully now, wrong. hopefully now enough people have been tagging us in her shit. Yeah. For her if to be like, what is this? Egg, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Girl, really. we will send you all the free merch you want. Seriously. Mm-hmm. T-Swift, if you're listening, mm-hmm. reach out. We have your people you. contact our people. We will send you an <laughs> FP onesie for each of your cats. Mm-hmm. It worked <gasps> out great for Cat Dennings. I mean, she came on our show and years later was in WandaVision. And oh, I, look at that. I think you're welcome. A, that, that's causation, not correlation right there. <laughs> They don't have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, so this is just another small detail for their list of small details that are, like, leading them nowhere. They're just chipping away at this, like, massive block with, like, a tiny pick and a tiny hammer. Mm-hmm. So FP was a real DQ, a drama queen. <laughs> a, dairy, sent, a dairy queen a dairy queen which I now I also want yeah, yeah, god queen. damn it why do we always record when we're hungry slash why are we always hungry <laughs> so he sent another letter to the press this time to the New York Herald Tri- uh, Tribune in it he stated that quote bombs will continue until the consolidated Edison company is brought to justice for their dastardly acts against me mm. against me the person who is anonymous how can they reconcile their dastardly dastardly acts against an anonymous person but whatever i have exhausted all other means Mm. i intend with bombs to cause others to cry out for justice with me okay show me that line of logic lawsuits right well we'll get to it but there really weren't any lawsuits so Mm. like he definitely did not he didn't exhaust all other means But, yeah. He disclosed possible locations of other bombs that he had planted in that letter that he sent to the press, one of which was found at the Paramount Theater in Times Square. And then on November 28th in 1951, a bomb went off in a coin-operated locker in a New York City subway station. So you could, like, put in a quarter and get a locker for, like, X amount of hours or whatever. And, again, no injuries from either of these. Not a fucking packed theater or from this locker. Amazing. 
And the Herald Tribune got another letter shortly thereafter that said, quote, have you noticed the bombs in your city? Hello. Yes. Give Jesus. me attention. Yeah. If <laughs> you are worried. enough attention. I need it. If you are worried, I am sorry. And also if anyone is injured, period. Like, I'm sorry. But it cannot be helped, for justice will be served. I am not well, and for this I will make the coin Edison sorry. And that is correct. You are not well. I, I appreciate well. the self-awareness. All caps. I am not well. It's like the weepy voice killer. I can't stop, stop killing someone. Someone. Yeah. But like, same. Yeah, I mean, I, I have written. Well. I have written. I am not well in all caps, as well as yelled it in all caps. So I get it. I feel for this guy. I am not well. Yes, they will regret their dastardly deeds. I will bring them before the bar of justice. Public opinion will condemn them. For beware, I will place more units under theater seats in the near future. FP. Okay. So what if the so these other targets like Grand Central and the all theaters. Over the place. And the phone booth had nothing to do with Con Ed, but he just wanted attention. He wants to bring people into a cause by bombing them when they go to the movies. Got it. <laughs> or to <laughs> take public time. transit. Yeah, 100% of the time. Oh, my God. So FP's reign of terror would continue for six more years. Dear God. Okay. In 1952, bombs went off at the Port Authority bus terminal without injury. And a Lowe's theater in a fucking seat, because he was putting them in theater seats, mm -hmm. which did injure a person, but they recovered. In 1953, bombs went off at Radio City Music Hall and again outside that oyster bar in Grand Central. In 1954, in a men's room in Grand Central, which injured three men using the toilets, a phone booth at Port, Port Authority bus terminal, one found but not detonated at Penn Station, Another in another seat at Radio City Music Hall that injured four people, but he they just fit. loved Midtown. He loved Midtown, but this is nuts. So this <laughs> goes off Midtown. He would would not go below twenty eighth. I mean, or above fiftieth. Correct. <laughs> correct. So this bomb goes off in a seat at Radio City Music Hall, injures four people, but they finished the show. <laughs> they moved like 50 people away from that localized seat <laughs> and finished the show. It was a different time. And it then was in World War II. And time. then the cops came in to search for evidence <laughs> after they got everyone out of the theater who had enjoyed their theater experience. <laughs> Jesus. I fucking can't. Like, Once I know they it's a small away bomb. the injured. Right. No, it's a small bomb. People got, like, burned in the ass. But it's still a bomb. Leave yeah. us a rating and review. Right? Thank God Yelp didn't exist in 1954. <laughs> then in 1955, a bomb went off on the platform of a Brooklyn subway station. So we did leave Midtown for that. Yep. A seat exploded at the Paramount Theater, slightly bruising someone's butt. But they were like, I'm fine. And walked it off. Several more bombs were found in other seats at the time. theater that day. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Pre-9-11 bombs yeah. going off all over New York. Tons of bombs going off in New York. And people, right. the police were like, whatever. Back yeah. in they those days. So you go to the Paramount, you get a bomb in the ass, you finish the show. You get some free concessions, you finish the show. People these days, too soft. You millennials are too soft. Here's your participation trophy. Yeah. <laughs> They got a bomb in the ass at Radio City Music Hall. Didn't even get a refund. And all I got was this T-shirt. All I got was this new seat. <laughs> and a bruised ass. Too soft. <laughs> anyway, 
It's it's like not funny, but it's amazing. Nobody died, so we can laugh. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in uh, another another one went off in Grand Central Station in 1955 in a men's room again without injury. In 1956, brought the first serious injury when a 74 year old bathroom attendant at Penn Station got hit when a bomb went off in a toilet while he was plunging it because it was clogged That's because there was a fucking bomb in it. Oh, so like no. someone went to use the bathroom, it wouldn't flush, went to get the janitor. Yeah. Like the attendant. And he's right. like, all right, he's 74. He's like, God damn it. Okay, I'll unclog this. And it, the whole bowl explodes. And he got hit with like broken porcelain and toilet water. God, God damn it. Which that is just is a the fucking day. cherry on top of an already rough job plunging toilets at top. end station. Yeah. I can't. He, he, Recovered. He wasn't killed, but he was seriously injured. He's an old fucking man. Yeah. God. So sad. I feel so bad for that guy. Yeah. And okay, so this is nuts considering the media attention that these bombs were getting and how fucking long this had been going on in New York City. But this is also. <laughs> yeah, like 15 years. This is my favorite part of the whole case. <laughs> it's just the most New Jersey shit I've ever fucking heard in my life. So a guard who lives in New Jersey but works in New York, he was working a shift at Rockefeller Center, found a piece of pipe in a phone booth. And like, this was FP's MO. Like it was it was clearly to set a, a pipe bomb. Yeah. But instead of leaving it the fuck alone and calling it in, the guy's like, yeah, this is a perfect bit of pipe for a home plumbing project I need to finish. <laughs> so... Somebody left this perfectly good pipe. Now I'm going to pocket this, bring it back home to Jersey. Oh, my God. Oh, so he does. And it explodes on his kitchen table the next morning. No. <laughs> Nobody got hurt. No injury. God damn it, Jerry. I told you I was going to bring a home from work. My can, first yeah, thought was his wife, wife is like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Hire a plumber. I hire liked a plumber. that t- Hire the plumber. <laughs> you, you keep saying you can, you're going to do it yourself. You're never going to fucking do it yourself. Just hire a plumber. You just blew up a kitchen table. You made Get a dash out. out of the drywall. What makes you think you could do plumbing or electrical? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a perfectly good piece of pipe. Gonna take it up. I got a plumbing project. Oh, I fucking can't. You My dad home, like, would do on that. The bus. <laughs> Back to fucking like Hoboken or Jersey City or wherever the fuck he lives. Didn't, didn't your mom find a piece of pipe in the, in the, the yard? Oh, and that she I was left like, there because I had stolen it. I think it fell from a plane. No, I had shoved it in my spanks after our 10 year reunion. It was Amanda's post 10 year high school reunion blitz. You stole like nine different things. All unnecessary <laughs> items. A pipe for a plumbing project. A chunk of pipe. <laughs> I found it. You are you this left New it. Jersey man. I can use this. You're like, can you Perfect. imagine? Yes. Perfect. And, then I I imagine. and then I went home to Des Moines and like two fucking weeks later, you my mom was like, I think, I think I figured out where that pipe came from that was on our front step. I was like, what? I forgot. She was like, I think it fell out of a plane. It was like, oh no, that was Amanda. Oh, that memory's coming back. It was weeks later. She was like, you she never did. thought 
<laughs> she dimension. She just kept it over it. Just looked at it for weeks. Like, I think I cracked the code. You didn't. <laughs> Your dad says he has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he didn't this time. <laughs> so that was my fucking favorite thing ever. Because <laughs> you could relate. Yeah. Another bomb went off in a seat at the Paramount Theater and injured six people, and the fed-up police commissioner made a statement the next day calling for, quote, the greatest manhunt in the history of the police department. And it had basically become that by that time, because they'd been looking for this guy for fucking, like, 15 years at this point. So had they actually decided to devote some resources to it, finally? I I don't (laughs) think that they were really putting too much that into it. I think they were a little busy, but... This now it's like, okay, we've gone too far. They're Mm -hmm. blowing up kitchen tables in Jersey. Yeah. (laughs) So New Yorkers went completely nuts because now this is just like all over the press, Mm -hmm. even more than it was before. And six people getting hurt in the theater. I mean, it's like it's escalating. It's escalating. So people were just turning people in left and right, like neighbors that they thought were weird, which I feel like is very New York City. Like, I don't know. I don't trust him. Call it in. Call it in. He left his groceries out again on the stoop. Have you seen how he takes out the bins? Uh, I don't like it. Call it in. He's the the mad bomber. (laughs) Call it in. Uh, Call it in. The search encompassed New York City and greater New York, as well as surrounding states, but there was no physical description to work with. The dude was a fucking ghost. So they finally called in psychologist James Brussel for help. And this was the first time in the history of the department that a psychologist had been consulted to crack a case. So for that department specifically, obviously not right. like everywhere Ever. in 1956, 57. So this is from SmithsonianMag.com, quote, Brussel had at first demurred, citing his workload, <laughs> the New York Department of Mental Hygiene, where he worked, which we don't call it that anymore, but he worked for like a state. What a shame. Mental health. Mental hygiene. (laughs) Had 120,000 patients and the caseload grew by 3,000 patients a year. So he's busy. Patient files were stacked high on his desk. In addition, he shouldered a full schedule of lectures and meetings and the demands of private practice. I had real people to deal with, he said, not ghosts. Mm. Russell had other reservations. He hesitated to test his theories in such a high profile case. What if his analysis failed to break the case or worse, sent the police in the wrong direction? Mm -hmm. Quote, I don't know what you expect me to do, Brussel observed skeptically. If experts haven't cracked this case in more than 10 years of trying, what could I hope to contribute? I don't know any resources whatsoever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're using experts loosely, but I get what he's saying. I actually appreciate that he was skeptical of his own abilities because usually the people that are least Mm. able are most confident in themselves and their abilities. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm Dunning-Kruger. Yeah. In the end, Brussel couldn't resist the chance to participate in the biggest manhunt in New York history. So James and I would not be friends. He was a hardcore Freudian and a firm believer in the Oedipus complex. Mm-hmm. But dude, <laughs> sometimes clear- a cigar is, is just, just a, a cigar, cigar, pal. Subway kinda- bread is, of course, bread. Is, of course, <laughs> bread when it's not yoga mats. But dude clearly caught on to something. So he combed over every bit of evidence accumulated over the last, at this point, fucking 17 years, focusing primarily on the FP, like, written letters. Mm -hmm. He concurred with the assumption that the individual was not born in the U.S. or was at least a first-generation born-in-the-U.S. individual and believed him to be of Eastern European descent because of his choice of words in his letters and the way that he was writing. Okay. 
The theater seats that bombs were planted in were sliced open aggressively with a knife, which James believed to, quote, spell an edible misalignment. Oh, like he was trying to penetrate Ew. the seat uh-huh. with a like knife. That. I know, which, uh, okay, sometimes, sometimes Maybe a knife. Maybe he just was nervous and didn't want to be caught. And moving quickly, exactly. Yeah. But that's where I'm like, okay. Not James, everything's uh, about dicks. Yeah. I know. Like a lot is, but like a not everything. A lot is, but not everything. Yeah. This felt like a stretch. He believed the subject, the the, sus, the subject. Oh my God, no more wine. Was likely suffering from paranoia and could be schizophrenic. He also guessed that FP's handwriting, specifically the quote sag of his W's, mimicking the curve of breasts, meant oh. that the perp was unmarried but lived with female relatives like a mother, aunt, sister. James also stated, "quote When you catch him, and I have no doubt you will, he'll be wearing a double-breasted suit." Just because of the name double-breasted? I mean, maybe oh. not the name double-breasted, but maybe like the style of the time being an Eastern European Trying to look person. O- official. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, there could be a million reasons for that, but it stuck out. Okay. So while the capture of FP was definitely pointed in the right direction because of the psychological p- profile, like that played a huge role, mm-hmm. not enough credit goes to Con Ed Clerk Alice Ke- Kelly, I can't imagine why, speaking of FP. Yeah, oh, did they overlook the contributions of Ms. Kelly? Yeah, exactly. She had been working with police combing over company records and found one that checked basically every box of the profiled suspect. A disgruntled former employee named George Metesky. After serving in World War I, some military, military training, check. Patriotic nonsense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Patriotic feelings. Mm-hmm. He returned home and took a job at Con Edison as a mechanic in Waterbury, Connecticut. So mechanical training, check. Mm-hmm. He lived with his two unmarried sisters, OMG, check. Whoa. In 1931, oh. George was working a shift when a boiler backfire produced a blast of hot gases. This knocked George over and he inhaled hot gas fumes. Hence the event- his G's. Well, maybe. <gasps> the event <gasps> yeah. left him. Gases. Oh. Looks like a fart. Oh, oh my God! Did we just no, become psychologists? Sure we did. Did it. we cracked it? FP forensic psychologist. <gasps> well, we'll get to what FP means, but that's not I already, it. I, but it's but, done. Yeah, great work. <laughs> we did. We did it. The event left him permanently disabled, but Con Edison only provided him with twenty six weeks of sick leave before pulling his job entirely. They just fired him. And then denied him workers' comp for, quote, waiting too long to file as he battled pneumonia and tuberculosis from the blast. That is very fucked up. Uh Uh-huh. That is very, very, very fucked up. It's not good. He appealed several times until the last one was rejected in 1936, leaving George penniless with a deep anger toward Con Edison. Mm -hmm. So disgruntled former employee, check. Mm Mm-hmm. George was also a first-generation American and the son of Lithuanian immigrants, Eastern European, check. Check, check. After 16 years of being terrorized by the Mad Bomber, police arrived at George Metesky's door and made an arrest. When he was confronted at the home, he was in his pajamas. The cops allowed him to change, and sure enough, he chose a double-breasted suit. Oh, my God. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Spot on. So, like, James, I'm not here for all of your Freudian edible bullshit, but you fucking nailed it. Yeah. So George had planted 33 pipe bombs around New York from 1940 to 1957. 22 of those bombs exploded, injuring 15 people. 
from Wikipedia, quote, they asked him for a handwriting sample and to make a letter G. He made the G, looked up and said, I know why you fellows are here. You think I'm the mad bomber. The detectives asked what FP stood for, and he responded, FP stands for fair play, which I guess would be like your move, basically. It doesn't fair even play. make any fucking sense. It doesn't really, but this person sign-off. is not. I am not well. <laughs> I am not like, well. He is not well. Super not well. <laughs> oh, my God. So he God. led them to his garage workshop where they found his lathe, which is like a tool used for cutting and sanding metal. Back in the house, they found pipes and connectors suitable for bombs hidden in the pantry, as well as three cheap pocket watches, flashlight batteries, brass terminal knobs, and unmatched wool socks of the type used to transport the bombs. So a lot of the crime scenes had fragments of wool where Mm. the bombs had gone off, and bombs that were found were usually, like, taped under the, like, a phone booth or taped in a Mm. locker wrapped in a wool sock so that you wouldn't immediately know what it was. Like Lucy's old camera, digital camera case. Exactly. I immediately thought of that. Who needs a camera case? (laughs) Yeah, an old sock. Yeah. (laughs) George was indicted on 47 charges, including attempted murder, damaging a building by explosion, maliciously endangering life, and violation of New York State's Sullivan Law by carrying concealed weapons, obviously, transporting the bombs would check that one off. He would undergo a psychiatric evaluation, however, before moving on to sentencing. So he didn't have a jury trial because like he he admitted to everything once he got caught. Mm -hmm. There was no need. He was guilty. There was no need to prove him Mm -hmm. guilty, but they did need to figure out how to sentence him. Mm -hmm. So he was declared legally insane and unfit to stand trial and transported to Matawan mm-hmm. Hospital for the criminally insane. He was diagnosed with, with paranoid schizophrenia. There, after suffering for years with tuberculosis prior, and like they in- admitted him into this psychiatric hospital, and they were like, "This guy is not well. Like we don't he think is he's not well. He he's told th- us. He told not us. only is he psychologically not well, but he was physically not well. I mean, he'd had like walking pneumonia and tuberculosis from this blast." And the boogie woogie flu. And the boogie woogie flu for fucking 16, (laughs) like, years, almost 20 years at this point since that, well, more than that, since he got that accident in the 30s. Yeah, his gas blast had left him literally permanently disabled and with a constant, like, infection. Wow. In his his chest and lungs. So they didn't think he was going to live, like, more than maybe six months. Yeah. In this hospital. But he... I guess getting, I don't know, some kind of consistent medical care helps uh-huh. because he made a full recovery in the hospital and he was Whoa. thriving, like doing so what much a better. fucking indictment of our healthcare system. I know. Yeah. Getting committed to a state like fucking hospital. And like union rights for workers and like. He did well. All he did of better. could have been avoided. He did yeah. better physically and psychologically being admitted to a hospital for the criminally insane in 1957. So, like, Jesus yeah, that speaks Christ. a lot about healthcare, and, yeah, it's not great. So he was transported to a less locked-down facility in 1973 because some laws, I guess, changed in New York about how you can't just, like, lock someone in a, in a hospital for, forever. like, the criminally insane forever, which is, that's a good law. You, like, you gotta have... Some sort of contingency for some kind of... If people get better. Right, exactly. Like, there needs to be rehabilitation or mm-hmm. some some kind of treatment with, a, with an end date. Mm-hmm. So he was transferred to a, like, less locked down facility in 73, and then follow-up assessments deemed him harmless. 
He was actually released with the caveat that he continue outpatient treatment. He was like medicated for his mental health and schizophrenia. They had fucking actually treated him for like two decades of pneumonia and TB. And he was sent home. Oh, my God. He went back to his hometown of Waterbury, Connecticut, and he died in 1994 at 90 years old. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if you were like, yeah, my neighbor, I cut his grass. He was the mad bomber. Yep. Real nice guy, though. The mad bomber. He looks like a mad bomber. Yeah, he looks, uh, his photo is really funny. It's like iconic, that photo. Yeah, it's definitely like, here's Johnny. Yeah. Ew. But this is when he was like really sick. Yeah, he was not well. He w- I am not well. Did his sisters have any clue? As far as I know, they had no idea. I mean, they're both working. I think that a lot of, I think that this family home, people were in and out of the house and they're fucking working their yeah. asses off and they're like, I don't fucking know what he's doing, whatever. He's he's not well. Right. But I don't think they thought he was the mad bomber. I mean, even just looking at him, like, I know I say this all the time. Fucking every black and white photo of like a jovial man in glasses. I'm like, he could be he my looks dad. Like my dad, you do say but that. But this a lot. guy looks so much like, like actually looks like my dad. With he hair. really actually like, looks kind like of, your dad. A little it's bit. Kind of nuts. Your dad yeah. had a much more cue ball shaped head. Oh, so His head was perfectly this, round. This, true. This yeah, this has man has round. He's in the one, round. in the one where he's like apprehended in the double-breasted suit and he's yeah. smiling and surrounded by cops, that looks a lot like my dad. That's the one I'm looking at. Yeah. I, I the side jail with photo, Mike not Jacobs. so much. Not so much. Not I so want to go back to this letter that you uploaded with mm-hmm. the G's and whatever. And at towards the bottom, mm-hmm. he does give hints about his parentage. Mm-hmm. He says mm-hmm. the nearest to my being Teutonic, mm-hmm. which doesn't that mean German? I think so. Is that my father boarded a liner in Hamburg for passage to this country about 65 years ago. Yeah. So dot, this dot, particular dot. letter, I think, was later in his like reign of terror mm-hmm. when the press was like, we think we're looking for this so-and-so. Type. And he's so they like, prob- ha you got something Exactly. Wrong. So he's definitely like taunting them a little bit. And he liked the attention. Like he's definitely reading the articles in the press. Right. But he's he's not well. He's, he's not, well. not well. But he died quite well and lived Til 90, 90 beautiful years. God beautiful bless him. years. I don't, <laughs> don't know about that, but let's slow your roll. He lived 90 years. <laughs> Some not so beautiful. I'd give him about 35 beautiful, beautiful years. years fighting TB in a state prison for the criminally insane. 30% of which were beautiful. Injuring mm-hmm. <laughs> people's butts. He thrived. <laughs> Never well, killed a damn one of them. He was not well. All right? It's not well. Didn't well, kill a one. I'm not well. Anyway. I love the, uh, the all caps. I am not well. I am not well. <laughs> New merch. For sure. New merch. New merch. I am not well. <laughs> I want I am not well shot glass set. <laughs> I am not well. <laughs> Draft it up, Corey. Anyway, that's my case. I just thought that case was so wild and was like such a sensation. I had barely ever. I'd heard of the Mad Bomber, but I was like, I have no idea what this is about. Yeah, but it was well so done. fun. Well done. Nice job. Thanks, and y'all. <laughs> special thanks to our fan picker, Katie M. Oh. Thanks, Katie. I hope you're well. 
I am not well. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Cheers!